Hey, really quickly, before we get started here, I wanted to give you a heads up that the first five minutes of this episode, the audio is uh, a little bit rough. So it did get kind of glitchy with uh, my conversation with Kevin Carr. We did get it sorted out. So um, after the first five minutes, it does get much, much better. So um, thanks for sticking with it. You won't be sorry. This is an unbelievable episode. And I think in terms of the stuff that you need to know, this is probably the top of the list, more important than any fitness topic we could cover. So stay tuned, stick with it. The first five minutes are a little bit rough, but I know you're going to love the rest of it. So I appreciate you understanding and let's get going. Bitch, I'm not recording. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's start over. All good. Uh, Am I recording? Okay. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 24 of the Fit Life Formula Podcast. My name is Brian Sippets. I'm the founder and CEO of Advantage Strength in Ann Arbor, Michigan. At Advantage Strength, we help people between the ages of 35 and 65 to live more, play more, and feel stronger than ever before so that you can stay active with your family and friends and get back to doing the things that you love to do. The Fit Life Formula Podcast is a show specifically for the members of Advantage Strength, but then anyone else who is interested in living a healthy, vibrant, and energetic life as long as they choose to do that. Um, and so most of the time we're gonna be tackling you know, fitness, training topics, something like that. Um, lots, of, lots of sort of well-being, I guess. And today's topic is gonna to be fairly unique and I'm, I'm really excited about this guest. Um, today we're gonna to be talking about long-term strategies for cognitive health. I think we know the links between exercise and uh, physical health. Um, That's really well publicized, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff out now about um, exercise and cognitive health. So with us to talk about that is uh, Coach Kevin Carr, who owns a place in Massachusetts called Movement as Medicine. And a lot of times uh, you may see me wearing my t-shirt around. So Kevin, I do sport your t-shirt quite often just because I love the idea of Movement as Medicine. So um, with us today uh, from Massachusetts is Kevin Carr. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for supporting the I appreciate it. Spread, spread the message. So happy to be here. Yeah. And the, I mean, it gets comments everywhere. Um, so it's like the best business name ever. I'm a little jealous, but we're good. Um, you can keep it. Um, but so unfortunately, you know, I, you were at perform better this year and, uh, presenting on Sunday, I wasn't able to stay for Sunday, but two of our coaches did stay and said that your presentation was excellent. And I think it's something that people should at least be turned on to the, this idea of exercise and cognitive health. Um, so what, what made you approach this? I know this hasn't been your focus all along, but tell me a little bit about how you you know, started looking into this and what made it interesting to you? Well, I guess really what personally um, was the existence of seeing cognitive decline in dementia within my own family. Uh, my grandfather passed away in 2017 from the common cause uh, of dementia and Alzheimer's. And, you know, it was something that, you know, you always hear about people talking about cancer spurs, but you never hear someone talk, right? Um, and it's one of those diagnoses that you see that people get as they get older that I think people kind of have something they can't control, something that just happens in their life. 
Um, but then when you kind of start to get curious and look a little bit deeper into the research and literature behind it, and so it's one of these lifestyle diseases in our modern society, whether it be heart disease or diabetes. Um, and I think you put Alzheimer's right into that, that same um, that is caused by a myriad of causes of dysfunction, whether it's sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress, anxiety, um, all of these things that kind of lead to disease to show its face later in life, 60, 70 years old. And we kind of just always have chalked it up as, you know, uh, bad luck, right? Um, so as you start to us and how professionals are of being lifestyle modification people, being environment modification people. So that's really when I saw people in my own uh, um, see it take his life and realize like, okay, how can we help people in their 30s, 40s, 50s help battle? That's when the battles 70s roll around. It might be too late. So that's kind of what opened my eyes to it because like you um, at MBSC, we work with so many people um, who are, you know, these fifties, like how can I open their eyes up to the tools that they have at their disposal to help fight this before it shows up? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's one of those things that has sort of been seen as, you know, if, if you're on that track, then you start thinking about it. Um, and like you said, at that point, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you started looking into this, you're, you're looking and for me personally, starting as a youth business and now primarily adults, um, we we looked a lot into this in the beginning, like with John Rady and Spark, and you know all the information that was coming out of of there about exercise being good for depression and ADHD, and um, you know focusing issues and um, learning issues and all these kinds of things. So exercise we've known for a long time is is contributing to that positively. Um, but now we're looking at sort of the other end of the spectrum and we're talking about more the long-term effects of a sedentary lifestyle. So talk a little bit about um, kind of what you, what you found and, and what are the major, I guess, ailments that are being affected by exercise and what kind of exercise? Well, as it is with a lot of these things, the, the intervention is my, things that people you know are good for them, right? Um, and what I really wanted to do when I gave this presentation, when I talked to both fitness professionals or I talked to people like my members, your members, that um, I want to open their eyes up to the fact that they have these things at their disposal, but they can impact their cognitive health, not just their body. Because you have so many people that, you know, like see fitness identify themselves via their physical traits, but the population out there that identify themselves with their cognitive traits. Um, and, and realizing that exercise education that they seen as you know can also help them cognitively um and, and so what you're what i'm trying to open people's eyes up to is like you know your blood sugar doesn't matter as it relates to diabetes but it matters obviously for cognitive health the research tends to point to that um your sleep quality doesn't just matter for your exercise and fitness your sleep quality uh, deep impacts how your brain regenerates and cleans out waste materials um stress management things like meditation um, and all of those things doesn't matter for just management in your day. So how your brain re- responds to stress as you age. So just opening their eyes up to these lifestyle practices um, and, and kind of open the big picture about size impacts all of why I started this conversation. And on the day to day with our members in MBSC, um, you know, 
them about small lifestyle applications that over the long haul can snowball and change their overall quality of life. And I think that's what, you know, we're doing here by, you know, sharing this with the members of your podcast. Um, because the more we can spread that, the more we can kind of get them to think as fitness is a more holistic thing and not just the aesthetic changes that we um, from exercise, you know? Yeah, definitely. Cool. So hang on, you're, you're saying that uh, the way we're doing things in the gym right now may not be the right way. I guess the overwhelming uh, understanding of fitness uh, may not be the right way. Yeah. I just, thing sometimes the messaging gets crossed right what's popular in fitness is what's sexy and what's exciting right and that's what sells in magazines that's what sells on tv but if we really want to position ourselves in the fitness industry as healthcare professionals that's what i think we are that's what you do that's what i do especially if we work with general population then we have to look beyond just everything from the neck down everything we market is from the shoulders down right um but our brain um is really what's going to be our saving grace at 40, 50, 60, 70, not necessarily like 22 inch arms, right? Like that's cool. Um, but you know, ultimately what keeps us relevant, what keeps us growing and keeps us evolving as we get older is being cognitively sharp because once you lose that, uh, it doesn't really matter. And I think getting people to see the value in that and, and look at that exercise is like really a huge stimulus for a better cognitive health. Um, and getting people to value that, which isn't always easy to do, um, is really where the money is. Like, I, it's great to look good. And it's great to be fit and be strong. Like, we want those things. But I don't think we also, we don't want to shortchange the value of exercise and lifestyle change as it relates to to our brains. And so what are the practices that are that are being found to be beneficial for this long-term cognitive health? So while I'll break it down in my presentation into a, a few different buckets. So... Um, obviously I'm going to start with the things that are most common in, uh, to all of us, right? Number one thing we we've seen from research and the thing that's probably researched most commonly is aerobic health. The same things that are good for our heart are good for our brain. Um, pretty well known. So circulation is circulation, whether it's in our muscles or it's all the way up in our brain, the more chronic blood flow we get from things like exercise, the better our brain regenerates, the better we release things like brain drive, neurotropic growth factor and grow new brain cells. Um, plenty of research to show um, that people who undergo an aerobic training program actually can actually grow brain mass. Some interesting studies um, where they've shown people who have suffered from cognitive decline and actually lost brain mass over the course of a 12-week program actually can grow brain mass back. Um, so number one, a robust aerobic system. Um, at strength training has actually been researched a little less, but is becoming more popular as it relates to, to cognitive health. Um, showing that regeneration of uh, white matter, improvement in executive function and memory as it relates to people who participate in strength training two or three times a week over the course of a six-month program, um, uh, especially elderly individuals, people who are sick and seem to benefit more and add to the fact that they improve activities of daily living. That's also obviously beneficial. Um, but then from a lifestyle factor standpoint, um, what we really want to open people's eyes up to is, is the environment we create. So whether that's sleep, nutrition, or stress management. Um, and what's interesting is um, when you look at the common research around Alzheimer's and dementia, um, many researchers are terming it as type 3 diabetes, right? So the same kind of uh, hallmarks of diabetes, uh, poor controlled blood sugar and insulin sensitivity are the same things that you tend to see matched up um, with dementia and also the same things you see mashed up 
with depression, oddly enough, two cognitive diseases, um, both related to inflammation and blood sugar. So helping people understand how to manage their nutrition, um, manage their blood sugar, like time restricted eating, or just um, more uh, responsible food choices day to day. Um, and then also sleep management. I've done a lot of work now with our members talking about just basic sleep hygiene. Again, basic habits that we know are important for us, but the research tends to point pretty strongly towards um, how these things affect our long-cognitive health. Um, and, and it's really, like I said, not necessarily exciting new habits, but opening people's eyes to the impact they have on your brain health, not just your physical health. Well, I think that's where the value is for us as professionals is, you know, people can get the information that they need uh, online or standing in line at the supermarket, um, flipping through a magazine. There, there's plenty of information out there, but the real importance and the real um, value of us, I guess the two of us and all the other fitness professionals out there is to help improve habits, right? Not just, not just give information, but Get, give information, but also help people improve habits um, and and put them in an environment where they're going to be, you know, set up to get success. Because ultimately, the same environment I think that that, that is going to cause you know the improvements in mental health is the same one that's that's going to cause improvements in you know aesthetics that people look for the the their ability to move the way they feel when they move. Um, and so it's it's nice that all those things sort of team up. Um, for like a well-rounded health approach. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And um, I think it's just about, you know, starting with the low-hanging fruit and kind of building it from there. Like you said, um, it's just about creating an environment. And everyone's going to start creating that environment probably on a different step um, in the process, right? You have some people where you have to just, you know, you know, over basic nutrition information or basic lifestyle habits. And over time, you can kind of snowball those habits um, to long-term change. And, and like you said, you're going to see kind of improvements on both sides of the spectrum, whether that's cognitively or physically. Um, when you're working with people on a day basis like you or I do, um, kind of just meeting them where they're at and, and continuing to hammer away at these little daily behaviors over time. And you look back a few years later, you can make a really big change. One thing I think is that's super interesting uh, that you that you mentioned in your presentation. One thing I think is super interesting is this idea of this misconception. When I when even when I think of fitness, I picture like Planet Fitness at five thirty in the evening with heads bobbing up and down on the treadmill and the ellipticals um, and people like watching TV and just burning calories. Um, I know mm -hmm. that that's not necessarily the correct. Uh, approach. You know that that's not necessarily the, the correct approach, but um, you talked a little bit about gameplay and the idea of, of getting mentally involved in the work that you're doing. Talk a little bit more about that and, and about the idea of, of being engaged as you're exercising. Yeah. Um, so again, like you said, the, the typical image some people have is like people slogging away on the elliptical and you and I both know we could go do that and we could essentially shut our brain off. It doesn't demand any of our real attention um, or connection or focus to do that, right? You could literally just stare at the TV for an hour and it goes by and you're done. And that's why people like it because it doesn't challenge them cognitively. But the problem is, um, like you said, we mentioned the book Spark um, earlier um, and, and how our brains stimulate our body and our body stimulates our brain and we can use movement we can use cross-body movement things that demand our attention 
um, to turn on and light up parts of our brain that might not necessarily be working. Um, and the example that's real simple, um, sometimes we use in the warm-up are things like agility ladders. And this is the most basic maybe way that we can, you know, almost I, you use the word gameplay or, or mental change in warm-ups or our workouts. Um, putting an adult who's never used an agility ladder before, um, and you've probably done this, they, they first go on it and they almost freeze up or they start laughing or they, they can't necessarily get through the, something simple like a cross in front or a cross behind drill. Then after a few weeks, you see everything start clicking, they're moving faster. And it's because they made a new uh, movement network and a new brain network. Because every time they execute something, they have to create new brain cells, new connections in their brain. And every time we do things that are cross-body coordinated movements where we have to create our right side and our left side, we have to learn a new movement pattern where demanding focus, we're demanding attention, um, and we're creating new nerve networks. And we want to continually incorporate those types of things into our clients' programs. So, you know, rather than the old warm-up where, you know, you just get on the treadmill for five minutes and then you go out and you lift weights, you should do something that not only gets your uh, body temperature up and your nervous system firing, but challenges your brain and challenges your attention. Um, so in addition to things like skipping, pulling, and crawling, and and moving forwards, backwards, sideways on things like ladders and linear lateral warm-ups. Uh, maybe we do things like balance beam walking, uh, where we continually move these balance beams on the floor, and that demands our clients' attention and balance and focus. Um, maybe some sort of competitive game between multiple people in the group um, that, that take maybe five minutes. It doesn't have to take up a huge part of the, the workout, but it can serve the purpose of a warm-up, which is to get their body temperature up and ignite their nervous system, but then also challenge them mentally. Um, and like you had mentioned earlier, that you know that is also fun for them, right? Um, half the battle in getting people to be consistent in any program is enjoyment. Uh, people are going to do what they like to do. So if you can incorporate some sort of fun and play um, into the program, uh, it not only challenges them cognitively, but they're also going to enjoy the process, and, and that's really, really valuable in and of itself. Yeah. And that, that piece about it being fun, people shouldn't dread going to the gym or it's not, it shouldn't be something that they have to do, which is why we have a responsibility to make our places as, you know, cool and fun and tight knit as possible as a community. Um, so that people want to continue coming, you know, the, they, I am inspired now to put the games back in our warm up. You and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, for a couple months there, we, played a, a different game each day, just something silly, um, you know, usually revolving around like a tennis ball or somebody brought us a, a, um, like a badminton set, like this a cheap badminton set that had, had like eight rackets mm -hmm. and a couple of birdies. And so you just knock the birdie around and that, that was part of warm up. Um, and it got people laughing. It got people conversing. Uh, mm -hmm. sometimes at 6am the groups can be a little less than chatty. Um, so it's just a nice way to not only bring energy to the group, yeah. but also, um, but also, you know, bring in a, a good proper nervous system warm up and, and make things fun. Ultimately the games have gotten bumped by foam rolling, which, uh, we kind of made mandatory. So it's, it's sort of like we're, we're picking what we want to put into warm up, but I think, uh, we may find a way to sneak the games back in there based on what you've said here. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll even like, I'll just put them in as like active rest in between other things. Like um, I have this one group in the morning at like six 30. It's kind of a mixed group of people anywhere from 50 to I think the oldest guy's 74. Um, and like they'll all deadlift, then they'll do their balance game. Then they'll go do some work. Um, they might do that tri set. 
then maybe they'll go into the next tri set and they'll do some dumbbell bench and some single leg squat. And maybe I do something else that's like eye hand coordination And like for them, they're going to rest anyways. Um, so maybe I do something that is a little bit less, uh, cardiovascularly stimulatory, but might be a little bit more cognitive stimulatory. Um, and these things could be, sometimes I'll even do them like in between our plyo circuit. So maybe they'll do a box jump, a med ball throw and something like that. And it's just continually something that keeps them on their toes, um, and, and keeps them, their brain working. Um, because it's interesting when you think about older people that you know, who are sharp, like I can think of a few of my clients, it's of no credit of my own. They were like this when I met them are always like stimulating, trying something new, learning a language, participating in some new activity, be, taking part in a new group. Um, and these people I tend to be sharper and more cognitively uh, with it as they get older than others. And I think it really is a, a use it or lose it uh, skill with your brain, just like it is for mobility or anything else. Um, so continually providing them that challenge because maybe outside of their time to see you two, three days a week, these people that might not be getting that in their lives, right? So again, if you're going to be a holistic, well-rounded healthcare practitioner. I think we want to find ways to give that to people, even if they only signed up to, to lift weights, you know? <laughs> what is, what is strength training's role in all of this? You mentioned the cardiovascular side, um, as being beneficial, bringing more oxygen to the brain. Talk a little bit about the strength training side of this and the benefit that it plays. Yeah. I think sometimes we forget the muscles are an organ just like anything else, right? We just think of it as these, uh, you know, machines that move our bones, right? Uh, but muscles are an organ just like anything that anything else, right? They release hormones. They're responsible for uh, all these uh, great things that flow around our blood post-workout to help make changes, not just in the muscle tissue, not just in the heart, but also in the brain. Um, one big thing is brain neurotropic growth factor. And if you've read Spark, they talk about that. It's obviously associated with cardiovascular exercise, but it also is released when we do, you know, uh, uh, straining muscle movements, right? So um, when people lift weights, it helps them hormonally uh, produce a lot of substances that help us, you know, grow our brain and maintain nerve networks, BDNF being one of them. Testosterone is extremely important for maintaining nerve networks. Also, as we grow muscle mass and as we maintain lean muscle mass as we age, it helps us maintain our insulin sensitivity. Um, and one of the real powerful markers for long-term cognitive health is it, uh, good insulin sensitivity. Like I said, they, um, they mentioned that um, dementia is known widely by the leading researchers now as type 3 diabetes, an inability to maintain your blood sugar um, essentially creates an inflammatory process um, in our brain networks, right? So if we can have better insulin sensitivity because we carry more lean muscle mass, it helps us maintain the cognitive health down the road. Um, and similarly, I talked about depression in that talk as well. Um, one thing mo most people don't realize is diabetes and depression occur uh, twice as likely together than they apart. Again, um, improved insulin sensitivity um, seems to have a pretty uh, large bearing on um, depression symptoms as well. So um, I think that strength training is just a, a very valuable, I always say like poly pill kind of like fix all for many disorders. Um, so, so lots of on, on that as it relates to depression as well. And that's always been the understanding is that if, if you could bottle and sell the benefits of strength and conditioning or of a fitness program in general, uh, in pill form and sell it, it would be, you know, a multi billion dollar drug in and of itself. Uh, so, you, you mentioned um, 
that you know you you keep talking about long term cognitive health. I think it's really interesting to note here too, or important to note that exercise fitness um, goes beyond the six week challenge and the the oh I don't know drop two dress sizes. Um, you know those can be a great way to get people going, but this long term health is reliant on us being you know, in a program or in a lifestyle for the extent of our life. And I think that's important to note too, is that it's, it's not a short term, it's not a sprint. Um, it, it is more of a long term thing. So the, we go back to those habits that we talked about in the very beginning of the episode here, go back to the habits. And, you know, mm-hmm. what do those habits look like that, that are going to put you in the best position to, to be successful? So what is it? What is the I know what the Fit Life Formula is because that's the name of the podcast, and I'll share that with you in just a second. But I want to hear what you have to say about what what does the formula look like. It's funny, actually, you asked this because someone, my friend Jared, who is a uh, intern um, for us at MBSC, uh, probably two summers ago now, he actually posted this quote today, and actually wrongly attributed it to myself and Marco Sanchez. I think he's probably heard us say it, but it's from my friend Charlie Reed, um, who said this, and he said you know, the program in the world is three by 52. That's the best sets and reps you can do, making sure you strength train at least three days a, a week for uh, 52 weeks a year. Um, and it's because uh, that's, I said credit to Charlie Reed, but I always say that to our clients because we lose sight of the long-term goal. Um, and they're always thinking, like you said, in terms of challenges. Um, but consistency is really the name of the game, making sure that you're consistently challenging your cognitive health, consistently challenging your aerobic health, consistently lifting weights, and then finding um, ways to manage stress, whether that be through sleep, meditation, and those other lifestyle needs. And again, it's not exciting to sell someone on a long-term moderate program, but the, the research <laughs> tends to support that. Um, and, and, and going um, back to, you know, uh, about with as it relates to depression, there's some really interesting research that I put in my presentation that, that shines some light on this. And they looked at um, strength training and resistance training uh, for depressive symptoms. They did a huge research review. So they looked at all the research um, out there as it related to resistance training and depression. And what they found is that um, strength training uh, was a consistent uh, reducer of depressive depression and anxiety systems uh, uh, symptoms. Um, when they fact, even if they factored in all of the competing, um, uh, side effects, um, like things like smoking, things like, uh, being all these other things, resistance training consistently was a, uh, positive stimulus or, uh, could counteract, uh, depression, anxiety symptoms. And this was regardless of, uh, steps prescribed days per week, or if people even got stronger. Hmm. So in all of this research, people didn't necessarily have to get more fit. The things that we argue about in fitness all the time, like how many sets and reps should you do? What exercises should you do? The stuff that like people argue about on forums that is really silly. None of that actually mattered um, as, as it related to uh, anxiety and depression. Um, what really matters is that people were consistently lifting weights. Um, and I just found that to be really funny um, because I think most people, maybe if you're listening to this podcast or you're, you're, you, know, you, you do strength and conditioning, um, and you're kind of in our circles of you know, functional training, things like that. I think you're probably good enough to get people stronger. And I think you're good enough to get people better and do it safely. 
Um, but none of the research even looked at that. It just looked at was strength training uh, valuable to reduce depression and anxiety symptoms, and it was. Um, regardless of how it was done, and there was a wide range of uses. In um, so again, going back to the fact that are you consistently lifting weights? Are you consistently stimulating yourself cognitively and cardiovascularly um, multiple days per week? And I think you have to sell it on the long haul um, harder. Um, and maybe we use things like challenges, but I think ultimately uh, a consistent program done well over the course of a lifestyle lifetime is really the key. And that's not that exciting to sell to people. <laughs> and that's part of our job too, to, to have a place that makes it fun and engaging. And, um, you guys have, you have an incredible, yeah. you have an incredible, uh, staff of, of coaches there. I feel like anyone who's in a prominent position now has been on either an intern or on staff at MBSC. And, uh, Mike was on a couple episodes ago. So he, you know, we heard from him a little bit on this, but, um, yeah, that's part of our role too, is, is to keep things fun and engaging and, and make it a, take care of the other parts of, of motivation, not just the, the long-term benefit side, but also the, you know, creating a, a solid community and a place where people want to be. And I mean, it's interesting you say that because we, we actually haven't talked about this. We, this idea of the fit life formula, that's the name of the podcast. Um, the fit life formula is three days a week of something you enjoy doing, like something that takes you through big ranges of motion. Um, whether it's, you know, a combination of cycling, yoga, um, gardening, uh, play and pick up basketball, whatever it might be, nothing that needs to be categorized as truly as exercise even. Um, but just something that takes you through a bigger range of motion and something that, that you enjoy doing. So it's three days a week of, of something you love doing two days a week of strength training because uh, we know that part's important. And then one workout that just sucks, like one um, challenging interval workout or, you know, something that you almost dread a little bit, but you enjoy the feeling afterwards. So, you know, the, the formula is that three, two, one, right? That's six days a week mm -hmm. of moving one day of do whatever you want to do. But, um, you know, the, it's the three days a week of something you love doing is there to keep you wanting to continue a healthy lifestyle. I mean, if you said, if we were to say you have to strength train, strength train seven days a week, you know, we'd lose a lot of people real quick. Um, cause not everybody loves it, but, um, you know, two days a week just to keep uh, tissue strength and keep you moving well and doing the things that you want to do. And then of course you've got the one challenge day where you're, you know, maybe sparking your, spiking your heart rate, um, in an interval session or whatever it might be something that's, that's pretty intensely hard just to keep that side that intensity on your plate so what you said and the and the fit life formula match up really well so it's good to hear that part anyway so um i guess just to wrap up here let's talk about you said sort of what a workout would look like in terms of you know this this brain like the brain training workout what is what is the like the checklist there what do we need to be what do we need to be considering if we're thinking long-term health um, in our workout or in our fitness routine right now? Yeah, I'll take you through kind of like what my, what my workout checklist would look like and then kind of the lifestyle checklist that goes with, with that. So, um, well, we, we want to make sure we can continue moving part about consistent part of the thing about consistency long-term is maintaining joint health. So I would tell them like, you have to come in and do the things like foam rolling, Active mobility would take all your joints through a full range of motion, shoulder circles, neck circles, hip circles, ankle mobility, hip mobility, 
thoracic mobility work, check everything on the mobility checklist. And that doesn't have to take a long time. You can get that done in five to 10 minutes. Um, then as we go through a warm up, we want to make sure um, that we practice the patterns for the upcoming training session or competition. That's kind of straight out of core performance with Mark Verstegen. Like, Hey, uh, we want to, you know, work through squat, split squat, basic, the basic patterns and basic competencies that we want to do. Um, and then from a dynamic standpoint, make sure we're moving variably, right? So, um, some of the things like I talked about skipping, shuffling, karaoke, backpedal, ladder drills, things that, um, one warm us up, but also stimulate us cognitively things like crawling, um, all things that like, you know, we want to make sure that we can still move, um, 360 degrees and stimulate our brain as we, we kind of cross the midline. Um, then continue to do something powerfully. Um, as we get older, we tend to slow down even quicker than we tend to get weaker, right? We tend to lose power, uh, strength. So, um, even if you're older, that doesn't mean you can't throw med balls. That doesn't mean you can't do a small box jump or work on some power skipping or do some, uh, some bounding. Um, so, so keep moving fast. We want to continue to remind our nervous system that it can fire and then it's powerful. Um, getting into the weight room. Um, I, I, my weight room stuff is, is very boil-esque, you know, it's like, we're going to push, we're going to pull, we're going to, uh, do legs and we're going to do some sort of anti-based core movement, whether it's anti-rotation or anti-extension. Um, so, you know, lots of single leg, um, dominant, uh, exercises, things like split squats, single leg squats, single leg deadlift, um, and, and, and basic, um, upper body strength training, and then finding something to stimulate them cardiovascularly at the end of the workout, um, kind of off, often alternating on days between doing things that are more cardiac output focused, that's going to, you know, improve their lower end of the aerobic window. So reducing, uh, their resting heart rate and then things that are going to stick them on the upper end of the aerobic window. So interval work, um, both, I think a mix of those things are, are, are really important. Sometimes in fitness, you know, people say, Hey, you only need to do aerobic stuff. You only need to do interval stuff, but I think you need to do both. Um, from a, the workout window, that's really what I try to, uh, to make sure we check the box on every day. Then also, you know, thinking, um, through their whole 24 hours, are they doing something for stress management? Is it, you know, going for a, you know, 20 or 30 minute walk, extremely valuable for stress management or some sort of active meditation drill. I think we're constantly stimulated. So doing something like that without a phone right in front of your face is, is really important. Um, and then, you know, managing, uh, basic sleep habits. I think that, um, you know, so much of our time is supposed to be sent then resting and sleeping. And I think we tend to shortchange that. So, um, how can we check the box on sleep hygiene every day? I think if we can address those things every day, then, then we're really off to a, a really good start, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And I think these are things that people know inherently, like I, I think they know that all those pieces are important. Um, but it also helps to have a professional to kind of help guide you through that. And obviously the things that you're saying, um, you know, you did a really nice job of, of sort of, I guess a better job than, than I could do of saying why it's important. And I think that really helps our listeners sort of understand the value of, of what they do, whether, you know, whether it's at advantage strength, which is my place or, any other gym for that matter. Um, if you're checking those boxes, then understand, like, I think part of the motivation is now, you know, that you're contributing to more than just your 
you know, you want to drop a dress size or, or loosen your, or uh, tighten your belt one notch, you know, those things are rewarding. But when you can put it in this light and understand that you're contributing to your long-term health and that you're putting yourself in a position to be healthy and, and, uh, you know, functioning, uh, later in life, you know, that's, that's also a good way to motivate you as well. So, uh, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. And, uh, until next time, guys, be sure to follow the Fit Life Formula. That's three days a week of something you love to do, two days a week of strength training, and one workout that just sucks. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.